This summer, we are studying the book of Exodus. This is the story of Israel's liberation from oppression and the lasting effects of that oppression on a people who struggle to be truly free. So far in the story, we've been introduced to the king of Egypt, who oppresses and enslaves the Israelites. But a group of women resist with civil disobedience. Midwives and mothers refuse to follow unjust laws and save the life of a boy named Moses. Moses grows up as Egyptian royalty, but flees to the desert after killing a slave master. While in the desert, Moses notices a burning bush. He leaves his sheep to go investigate and meets God, who sends him to free the enslaved Israelites. But when he gets there, things do not go so great. The Pharaoh only worsens the oppressions of the people, and everyone blames Moses. God tells Moses to hang in there because justice will eventually come. And that brings us to our scripture today. Exodus 7, 14 through 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh is stubborn. He still refuses to let the people go. Go to the Pharaoh in the morning. As he is going out to the water, make sure you stand at the bank of the Nile River so you will run into him. Bring along the shepherd's rod that turned into a snake. Say to him, the Lord, the Hebrews God has sent me to you with this message. Let my people go so that they can worship me in the desert. Up to now, you still haven't listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. I am now going to hit the water of this Nile with the rod in my hand, and it will turn into blood. The fish in the Nile are going to die. The Nile will stink. The Egyptians won't be able to drink water from the Nile. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your shepherd's rod and stretch out your hand over Egypt's water. Over their rivers, their canals, their marshes, and all their bodies of water, so that they turn into blood. There will be blood all over the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers. The fish in the Nile died, and the Nile began to stink so that the Egyptians couldn't drink from the Nile. There was blood all over the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. So, we are looking at the plagues today. Joni and our puppet friends introduced us to the first plague, but we're going to look at them as a group. So I'll very quickly run through them. First, water turns into blood. Frogs cover the land. Then we get lice and flies. Then start, things start ramping up when all of the livestock die. People break out in skin disease. A hailstorm destroys the land. Locusts ravage the crops and the land turns dark for three days before finally we have Passover and the death of the firstborns. Now, the plagues bring up a lot of questions. What exactly is God doing here? It sure seems like God is angry, and as a result, God is causing ecological disaster, illness, and death which in 2020 hits a little bit close to home. It's just, it's not hard to see the, the similarities between Exodus and today. I mean, we have a 
Well, we have a, a president who does a pretty good Pharaoh impersonation. We have an ecological crisis and a global pandemic. And, and how's this? What, last week, I left work early because I got a call that a swarm of 3,000 honeybees were trying to move into my house. Yeah, they're fine. Uh, it, it, it feels a little bit like we're living through the exodus right now. But that comparison gets complicated real quick if God is the one causing all this chaos. So, where is God in the plagues? To answer that question, uh, I want to start with creation. Genesis, the creation account in Genesis 1, begins in chaos with a world that has no form. It's dark and chaotic when God's Spirit sweeps over the chaos and declares, let there be light. The seven days of creation bring order and balance to all that has life. Then as the story continues, God appears to humans and reveals a way of living that's in harmony with the larger order of creation. It's a life of justice where the flourishing of people is intimately connected with the flourishing of creation. So, for example, when people are oppressed, all creation suffers. And when the land is abused, oppression and sin abound. So, when Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, it not only threatens the Hebrew people, it also challenges the order of all creation. So God responds with plagues, which are not arbitrarily chosen punishments. The plagues are a disordered version of creation. The plagues are like a warning, or maybe like a preview, of what would happen if the world returned to the chaos from which God created. And, and in the plagues, all creation is affected. Exodus specifically describes how each plague harms the people, and then also how each plague harms the earth, the land, the rivers, the grain. The plagues are natural events, but they're, uh, the word I read when I was researching this is that they're hypernatural which means they're extreme in their intensity and their onset and who they affect. Uh, even, even the final plague, where God seems to be striking people dead, it, it is introduced with a Hebrew word for plague. And, and this word is used 70 other times in the Bible, and in every other instance, it describes a disease. So a Hebrew speaker would understand that even the final plague was some form of natural illness that is acting in very unnatural ways, suddenly killing a, pop, a portion of the population. These plagues, they're, they're like nature gone awry. And, and really, they're a vision of the chaos that existed before God created before God gave the world order and balance. I mean, think Genesis 1 and look at the plagues again. 
water, the plagues cause water to no longer be water. Light and darkness are no longer separated. Insects and amphibians swarm, disease spreads, the land is destroyed, people and animals die as God's ecology of life is abandoned and chaos takes over. So then, where is God in the plagues? Well, certainly involved. And I'm not sure what exactly that involvement looks like. I mean, it, it, it could be that it's more like God directly sending frogs and gnats and lice or it, more, it might be more like a natural consequence of abusing an ecosystem where water is poisoned and frogs leave the water and die and draw flies and lice that kill the livestock and cause disease and a sandstorm turns the sky black and, and so on. But, uh, but I, I don't think that's the primary concern is which of, which of those true two are more true and, and we actually don't know. The central point is that God ordered creation to have balance so that all life thrives. When Pharaoh challenged that order, he reaped cosmic consequences. And, and that, that is the point that we should probably be listening to as the engine of consumerism threatens the well-being of all creation. Our desire for more wealth, our desire to buy more stuff, that's what makes us ignore the devastating consequences of climate change. It causes us to causes us not to think about a factory worker working 50-hour shifts so that someone around the world can have cheap phones. Consumerism challenges the balance and the order of God's creation. And Exodus teaches us that when creation is disordered, God comes to the aid, God comes to the side of those who are being exploited. And this might actually be the most revolutionary message in the story. Because in the ancient Near East, uh, by and large, gods reinforced the power of the ruling class who controlled the temples and the priests. God gave a reason why some people were in power and others suffered. But then Moses shows up with a revolutionary claim that God is on the side of the slaves, not the slave owners. That God will not sit idly by in the face of injustice. God demands freedom and a way of being that brings life and balance for all. And that message, the revolutionary message of Exodus, shaped Judaism. It shaped Jesus who is a descendant of the slaves in our story. Jesus, who is a refugee who fled to Egypt as a child. Jesus, who would have celebrated Passover 
in the land where God freed his ancestors. The Jewish holiday of Passover remembers the story of Exodus, and, and specifically the last plague, where the Israelites put the blood of a lamb on their door so that the disordered chaos of the final plague would pass over them. This, this was a sign that they wanted freedom from Pharaoh's economy of exploitation. Jesus celebrated this Passover feast every year and learned what it meant to be a part of a community that followed a God of justice and liberation. Jesus learned a way of being, a way of living that brought balance and justice and love to all creation. And Jesus taught that way of love to his disciples and, and told them that as, as impossible as it might seem, that they could live a life of love that resisted the economy of exploitation. They could live a way of love that found balance in order with all creation. So, the night before he died, Jesus gathered his disciples for a Passover meal where they would once again hear the story of their God who is on the side of the oppressed. Their God who brought freedom and liberation to the slaves in Egypt. Jesus told his disciples to keep having this meal, not just once a year, but as a regular part, a regular part of the rhythm of community life. Keep having this meal to remember how God delivered them from Egypt and to remember the sacrifice that Jesus was about to make a sacrifice of love that would save them from all that bound them to their disordered world. And thousands of years later, we still celebrate that same meal. We share bread and wine and we retell the stories that shape our faith. We gather because we know the brokenness of our world can feel overwhelming. We gather because we believe in God's promises of freedom in the midst of it all. We gather because we know the journey towards freedom is one that we cannot go alone. We must find freedom and salvation together. So, now let us share this meal. We're going to just play a minute of music so you can go grab some clean slides, supplies, and then we'll come right back. 